0: The bureaucracy can really get in the way, and it requires leaders to, I think, um, impart upon the team how important it is to be introspective and rethink how we're getting to the goal of security, for instance, and not just execute a process because it's been in place for a decade.
1: Hi. Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolaba, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Deputy Editor Kate Macri. Hi, Kate. Hi, hey, Alex. To kick off our first episode of the season, Kate chatted with Sharon Woods, director of Hack at DISA. Kate, can you explain to me what Hack is?
2: It stands for Hosting and Compute Center. And it's basically the Defense Information Systems Agency, or DISA, their cloud organization. And they're really focused on building out cloud efforts for the Department of Defense Information Network, Backbone, and the rest of the fourth estate. So that's, that's really what they're focused on. They touch pretty much everything across DOD in some capacity.
1: So before we jump into your conversation, what was the most surprising thing you learned during your interview with Sharon Woods?
2: Interestingly enough, the most surprising thing I learned didn't really have anything to do with Sharon's specific job leading hack. It had to do with her personal career journey because I asked her a few questions about that. And she said one of the biggest pieces of advice she has for women in tech is to go for jobs that are outside of your comfort zone that you think you're not like skilled enough to do. So like shoot for positions that feel uncomfortable and like, oh, I'm not quite that qualified. She said, that's a sign that you should go for it. And I thought that was really interesting because I'd never heard anyone say that before. And she said, it's one of the primary ways that you'll actually grow. So yeah, it was cool.
1: Yeah, something that I love about GovCast is that it's not always just about the technical side of the conversation. There's a lot of talk about career growth and people's personal journey. So I'm glad that you got into that. She's got so, a
2: really. Sorry, I just wanted to add, she's oh, yeah. had a really interesting career journey too because she started out, you know, with a law degree and worked as an attorney for the Department of the Navy. And now she's leading cloud efforts at DoD. And that's just, you know, she's had this very storied career. And so I was really interested in hearing about how she got to where she is.
1: I think one of the big things that has happened recently for Sharon Woods is this Joint Warfighting Cloud Capability Award. What should listeners expect regarding that?
2: So the JWCC is replacing the spectacular failure that was the JEDI cloud contract. And that was awarded just a couple weeks ago to four of the biggest cloud service providers, which are Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Oracle. So I think what listeners should expect from Sharon and her perspective on all of this is that The JWCC is supposed to be complementary to everything that they're already doing at HACC and DISA and across DOD. So DISA has this 2022-2024 strategic plan for cloud modernization, and the JWCC fits right into that. And I think she considers it an accelerator, similar to some of the other DISA HACC initiatives like infrastructure as code and the Vulcan program which we'll talk about a little bit in the interview and how all of these different initiatives are fitting together into this puzzle that is the cloud modernization journey at DOD. So, I think that's going to be a big takeaway is that you shouldn't be thinking about the JWCC as like the end all be all cloud thing for DOD. It's just one piece of the puzzle. And all of these initiatives are being thought about in a very strategic way so that they all fit together and complement each other. And they're not, different components aren't talking past each other, or at least they're trying not to do that. And they're thinking about it in a way, in a, in a more holistic way, which is something that DOD has always really struggled with. So this is supposed to help help with that. And it's also going to be very important for jadc too. So expect to hear about that too.
1: That was great context, Kate. Let's take a listen to your conversation.
2: So I'd like to start the conversation with a quick overview of what Hack has accomplished this year and what you're looking forward to next year, Sharon. In alignment with the 2022 to 2024 strategic plan for HACC, and also given the news that the joint warfighting cloud capability was just awarded.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk. Uh, you know, the Hosting and Compute Center, we're responsible for providing all hosting and compute platforms to the department. So that includes data centers and includes private cloud and includes commercial cloud. So we've uh, had a number of really big accomplishments in the last year. Uh, And for the second line of effort that's under the DOD, the DISA uh, strategic plan, drive force readiness through innovation is where we've had a lot of our successes. So the first one I'd highlight, and this was a really big announcement for us on Wednesday, that we awarded the Joint Warfighting Cloud Capability Contract, or JWCC. And the reason this is so innovative is because it is a first-of-its-kind contract for the department. It will deliver all classification levels. It will deliver capabilities um, from the United States all the way out across the world into the tactical edge. And it's being awarded to four different Uh, vendors. So we have AWS, Google, Microsoft, and Oracle. So it makes it this multi-vendor, multi-classification domain contract that is urgently needed for the warfighter. Uh, So that is one of our major accomplishments uh, for for calendar year 22. Uh, Another one is around agile innovation. And just philosophically, we don't start projects unless we can finish them in under six months. And we've held true uh, to that to that uh, philosophy throughout the entire year. And one of those I'd like to highlight is our, our Vulcan project, our DevSecOps initiative, which did get from uh, concept to delivery of a minimum viable product in under six months. Uh, Vulcan is a DevSecOps pipeline and we started with just a, a code repository so people could um, communicate and share code and work on code together. We have around 2000 users right now of that MVP and then we'll be layering on additional capability like using project management tools and collaboration tools like Jira and Confluence as well as the pipeline itself. Uh, so the big value proposition with Vulkan is that it's flexible. It really meets people where they are. It isn't a one-size-fits-all kind of, um, kind of solution. And there were two other things I wanted to highlight for the calendar year. The last one under innovation was our big migration from MillCloud 2 to Stratus. We were successful. That was another one of those six-month sprints. We had about two-thirds of our customers from the private cloud environment that was in MillCloud 2.0 move over into Stratus, which was a huge success. Some of those applications were just ready to move to commercial cloud. And so that was great for those mission partners. Um, But the Stratus environment, right? It's bringing in those cloud-like capabilities like automation and utility building and the like. Um, So we're really excited to see we have new customers, we have new accounts, and that just continues to grow. And then the last, and this is under his line of effort, uh, General Skinner's line of effort number five, Empower the Workforce. This really underpins everything, especially in the innovation realm, is continuous learning and really taking the workforce and upskilling them to operate with today's technology and tomorrow's technology. So we appointed a senior training champion Uh, We're in the process of hiring a chief learning officer so we can really dedicate someone 100% to this initiative. It's focused on cross-disciplinary training and interdisciplinary training, and we're really excited, I think, with the coming year as we unfold that program.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like there's, there's a lot going on there. Can you talk a little bit more about your cloud accelerators, such as the Vulcan program, and your general infrastructure as code initiative, and why those are so important to cloud and DoD? And also, you know, now that the JWCC has been awarded, what kind of role they're going to play there as well?
0: Sure. So, and I'll actually start with JWCC and just saying, you know, hey, we're making cloud capabilities available to the department now, right? That, that contract award really opens up the door. But kind of like building a house where you need a foundation, you need studs, you need electricity, you need plumbing. There are certain things that you have to set up in a cloud environment to host your application that always need to be done. And so rather than forcing every single mission partner to figure that out on their own, why not prepackage it? so that you can accelerate their adoption of cloud, hence the cloud accelerator um, moniker. So one of the things we've done is infrastructures code, for instance. Um, So you have to set up your cloud environment, you have to layer on basic security policies and identity management. That process we found with some of our customers was taking months, I mean, many months, 38 weeks to do. And with Infrastructure's Code, we've pre-done the template for them. And it's also pre-accredited, which is really important to get to speed so that your accreditation process shrinks in time. But now in two to four hours, we can set up that basic cloud environment rather than the many months it was taking our customers, um, customers to do. So the accelerators are really, really important because... You don't want the cloud capability to just sit there. You want to help people be able to consume it and achieve speed to mission as quickly as possible. And that's what cloud accelerators let you do.
2: So as a follow-up to that, do you have any plans for additional types of programs to accelerate cloud going into 2023 2024 or are you really going to be investing in the ones that you have and really ramping those up across the department I think our focus
0: right now is going to be taking our MVPs and continuing to expand them with Vulcan especially because we've just scratched I think the surface on what that can be because we're looking at developing that Um, that pipeline, right? So you can push an application through and have it be continuously iterated and developed with baked in security in an automated way, uh, rather than having to manually, you know, create this over and over again. Uh, But we want that to be in each of the cloud vendor environments. We want that to work with Stratus. We want it to be integrated with infrastructure as code. And so I think it's more a logical extension of some of the pieces that we've put into place. And then the other part that I think we're going to be very focused on um, this coming year is OCONUS Cloud, mm-hmm. uh, is really yeah. looking at how do we take cloud capabilities and get them to the point of need, which for the Department of Defense is where our warfighter operates. And so we have access to these great cloud capabilities now through JWCC, and it's going to be taking some of those capabilities and packaging them up in a way that can be consumed by the warfighter out where they are in theater, as well as leveraging HACS data centers with private clouds so that we have this fusion of data center technology, private cloud technology, and commercial cloud technology globally.
2: Yeah, it sounds like an insane initiative going into the new year. But it sounds like you guys have also been really laying the groundwork for JWCC to be successful with what you've already been doing with Hack and all of the initiatives there.
0: I appreciate that. It is, <laughs> um, it, you know, the world is a large place, but uh, you know, it's about building on those those blocks, and that's why I had highlighted. Agile innovation as one of our successes because it's that mentality of micro successes. You know, don't tackle the world all at once. You know, start with small building blocks, deliver in those six-month iterations. So we've started with some capability with our Vulcan DevSecOps pipeline, but let's keep building it and making it bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, rather than trying to do everything at once. But I do think this coming year is shaping up to be a really, really intense busy year for us.
2: Yeah, for sure. I had another quick follow-up question to that, actually. So now that JWCC has been awarded and, you know, is building on what you guys have already been doing, can you briefly describe the impact this will have on JADC2 efforts?
0: Sure. So I would say that JWCC is really laying the foundation for JADC2 and some of the other, um, some of the department's other uh, artificial intelligence and, and data initiatives. And the reason is because, you know, to fight and win wars, you need to be able to capitalize on data. It needs to get where you need it to get. You need to be able to process it and analyze it however you need to at the point of need at speed. Well, in order to move that data around, which is really JADC2 was about connecting our command and control systems and moving our data around so that it's getting at the point of need and the way we need it, there has to be that underlying foundation of hosting and compute so that the data has something to sit on top of and move around. And that's what JWCC brings to the table. It essentially lays down a global foundation upon which all these different data initiatives, including JADC2, can sit upon.
2: Right. So can you tell me a little bit about the containers as a service goal that Hack has and how this can help improve cybersecurity and user experience in OCONUS Cloud? Sure.
0: So containers as a service, you know, it's done a few different things. One, it took commercial cloud technology, right? Kubernetes containers, and it actually took it to the data center. Typically you would only see containers in cloud, but we have a lot of applications in the data centers and they're just not ready to move and migrate into a commercial cloud environment. And so, and this was an instance where we said, you know what, for cybersecurity reasons and for user experience reasons, it makes sense to take that container technology and move it into the data center. And I'll give you an example of how that works. Um, You know, many applications have websites and in order to have that website run, you need a web server. So you set up the website on that server box. And if you have a thousand different websites, you know, you can set up a thousand different servers and you can configure each one and manually go through that process. And you can begin to imagine how much human error that introduces Each one of those server boxes may be in a different state, they may be um, running on different baselines and different versioning of software, and and the list goes on and on and on. With containers, you set up one instance of that web server and then you push it out to all the instances, all the applications where you need that web server. So containerization already comes with security hardening Um, But then on top of it, if there is a vulnerability, you can make a change to the core container, and then that can propagate everywhere everywhere else. And so you've achieved the level of security and speed that the traditional model doesn't let you have. And from an OCONUS perspective, container technology is really important for, for portability, for being able to move data across different cloud environments, from United States out to OCONUS. And so I think just propagating container technology is really important, whether you're in a data center or whether you're in commercial cloud.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to change gears a little bit and hear a little bit about your career journey you've gone in many different directions. Your career has taken a couple different turns. You have a law degree and worked as an attorney for the Department of the Navy, for example. So what about cloud and IT grabbed your attention?
0: So I had this, I think, pivotal moment in my career when I was um, lucky enough to work on the DoD Electronic Healthcare Record Program and we awarded that contract back in 2015. So at the time, the program was called DIMSUM. Um, but just brief history, you know, up until then, the department had multiple electronic healthcare record systems. They were very old. And it directly affects people's lives. You know, the military relies upon the department for medical treatment and has, you know, hundreds of military treatment facilities and everyone has had that experience of going into a doctor's office and you have to fill out the same paperwork again. Mm-hmm. And then you go to another doctor and they don't have your x-rays. And, you know, so this is, I think, a common experience for everyone. But, you know, the military, I think, puts some, you know, unique challenges and pressures into people's health care. And it's not just supporting the military members, but their families as well. And so being able to do this acquisition, this cloud-based acquisition that was going to modernize the EHR platform to take advantage of the best in commercial technology and deliver the best clinical care we can provide our military and their families, that really changed things for me. I mean, it showed me the scale of cloud, and I really became more appreciative of just the impact that cloud technology can have and it's having it on people's lives. And so I think once I worked through and worked on that project, it just, it for me, it changed what I wanted to do, that I really wanted to pursue more cutting-edge cloud-based technology with an emphasis on mission.
2: It sounds like really enhancing the user experience is a big part of that. Would you say that's true?
0: Absolutely. And I, I think in the healthcare field, that is especially true, whether it's you know, the um, patients accessing their own records or it's Mm -hmm. clinicians accessing those records and having that consistent experience, it makes a difference in the quality of care provided to that person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say is the hardest part of your job now? So the
0: hardest part of the
2: job is the
0: bureaucracy uh, (laughs) and it's so baked into the culture yeah. Uh, Lieutenant General Skinner, the DISA director, you know he's, he's told us to be really brutal about driving out what he calls institutional silliness. Um, <laughs> but it's these ideas of, you know what, we need to make sure things are secure. We need to make sure that we're operationally ready to execute a program.
2: But you have to
0: question, why is this particular process in place? And how is it adding value to the overall goal of being secure? And so... In order to have six-month pilots and MVPs, and in order to frankly outpace near-peer adversaries and make sure that we have the best technology in place for the warfighter, we have to move really quickly. And the bureaucracy can really get in the way. And it requires leaders to, I think, um, impart upon the team how important it is to be introspective and rethink how we're getting to the goal of security, for instance, and not just execute a process because it's been in place for a decade.
2: So I guess on the flip side, what's the easiest part of your job? Or is there an easy part?
0: The easiest part of the job is honestly, it's working with the people and it's seeing the excitement. You know, when when they get enthusiastic about a project, when you're able to show them that mission nexus, I can just sit back and the rest takes care of itself. And that is one of the most exciting parts of the job.
2: So as a woman in federal defense IT, what has your journey to a leadership position been like, especially in such a male dominated field? And what advice do you have for women interested in following in your footsteps or pursuing similar career paths in military or national security especially from a tech perspective
0: So one of the most important things for me was having strong mentors that yeah. made the probably the most profound impact on my career And interestingly, they were more often than not male mentors, although that kind of makes sense in the environment. And it is a very male dominated environment. And and certainly that's getting better. Um, But I will I will share with uh, other women what they told me, which is don't hold back. And I think too often and there's statistics to this effect, but um, too often women sometimes wait until they think they are perfectly qualified for a position until they apply. And what my mentors pushed me to do was apply for positions that I wasn't even sure I was ready for. And they, I had one mentor that told me, if you apply for a job when you're ready for it, then it's really too late to take that job that you need to stretch and that you need to push yourself. And so that's my biggest piece of advice. And I was just really lucky that I had some mentors um, that nurtured that in me and helped me become more confident and understand that I don't have to be perfect in order to apply for something. And even if I'm only partway there, you know, what do you have to lose?
2: Yeah, that's such great advice. And I feel like that's especially pertinent to women early in their careers who may not have as much confidence as their male peers, you know, and might not necessarily think they're ready to, you know, go for that job that's maybe a little bit outside their comfort zone. So that's a really great point. Yeah, I completely
0: agree. I, um, uh, you know, I I do as much as I can to speak to um, other emerging leaders. And I think that's something Um, that we all, you know, should hopefully strive to do is to share some of those lessons. Because I definitely made some missteps. And I think sharing those two is is important. But I mean, I love where I am today. And I wouldn't have gotten here without the support of my mentors, and without just taking a jump sometimes, and you just don't know what's going to happen on the other side.
2: Yeah, I, I guess that can hold people back sometimes especially when you do make a misstep and you're just like if you're early on in your career and you're like, oh, no, it's all over. I totally ruin this. But I feel like that's not always a very healthy way to look at things because that doesn't really prompt you to want to like pick yourself up and keep going. Yeah. And I think you have to
0: make some mistakes and prove to yourself that you can pick up and keep going. And and sometimes Mm -hmm. those mistakes are as important or more important than the successes.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sharon. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it too.
1: That was a fascinating conversation that you and Sharon Woods had. Are there any key takeaways or thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with?
2: So I think I would say that one, especially if you're early on in your career, you shouldn't be afraid to go for difficult things or jump into difficult projects or roles. So encouraging people to do that. I think that's a big takeaway just from like a career perspective and also like don't limit yourself. I mean, Sharon Woods has done a lot of different things and focused on a lot of different, I guess, sectors throughout her career from like law to IT. So also don't feel like you have to stay within one particular industry because if you're open to new things and you're constantly building up a skill set, you can do anything pretty much. So it's a very empowering. But then in terms of like the subject matter, I think another big takeaway is the joint or fighting cloud capability and hacks, other accelerator initiatives, such as infrastructure as code and the Vulcan program, containers as a service. All of these are really focused on improving the user experience for a warfighter in theater so that they can access the technology tools that they need in the cloud at mission speed and that one like holistic vision is really driving these efforts and you know news about the joint warfighting cloud capability is going to affect how we think about JADC2 it's going to affect how we think about devsecops and vice versa so it's it's all interconnected
1: Well, I think this was a great episode to start off both the new year and the new season. Thank you for listening. I hope the conversation has inspired you to reach outside of your comfort zone and go after new and exciting opportunities. I think this times out really nicely with New Year's resolutions. Kate, do you have any New Year's resolutions that you want to share with our listeners?
2: So the one that I've been thinking about doesn't really have anything to do with my career. It's more just trying to invest in some friendships that mean a lot to me and really, you know, focusing on like a small pool of really good friends, you know, who we maybe sometimes take for granted and I don't want to take them for granted. So, yeah, just getting real
1: is a great resolution. Uh, My plan is to actually read all the books that I have on my bookshelf that remain unread. I live by several great uh, independent bookstores, and I can't stop myself from buying new books all the time. So it's time that I go and finish reading what is on my shelf. If you would like to go through a great backlog, listeners, we have so many episodes of GovCast available on our website to listen to. If you got a road trip coming up or you want to just stay up to date, check out GovCast on our website, govciomedia.com. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. I'm Alexander Bolova.
2: I'm Kate Macri.
1: Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to GovCIOmedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.